You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Austin Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on this Wednesday, that is hump day. You guys have submitted your questions. You guys dictate where the show goes. Every week we answer your questions. You can submit your questions by hitting us up on duckterritory.com. Either shoot us a private message or create a message board thread. You could DM Eric or I on Twitter, social media, uh, private messages, or even just shoot us a regular, just straight up, tweet on twitter as well or use the hashtag odds and audibles and you will be able to get your questions seen and we take the best ones every week on the show all right we got a couple questions here mostly for football related we're starting with one from at robbie parness which is more advantageous for the ducks when hosting a recruit to be the first visit so you can set the bar or the last visit so you have the last impression before a decision. Seems like you can spin a good argument either way. Um, Matt, for me, like, I, I always think it's important to make, the, you know, set the first impression. Um, now, it'll probably in some instances depend upon a variety of things in terms of the familiarity the recruit has with said, you know, the other schools. Right. Like, for example, like if it's a kid from Portland, and he's seen Oregon already. I don't know. Maybe you just you're okay having the last visit. He already knows the campus pretty well. He's got a feel for it. Um, he's going to make a decision. He's going to see everything else to make it. He already kind of knows Oregon. Why not have the final say? Why not have kind of the last concluding thought so that when he does go out and make his decision, he goes, okay, I already knew everything about Oregon. It just kind of re-solidified things. But I think the flip side, if it's a kid safe from like the Southeast – I think it's important to set the tone because I, I, you could see a kid possibly not even get to Oregon and commit to a school before even seeing it. And I think especially with the kids, like say some of these kids that just came out from Texas or Jalen Sneed came out from South Carolina earlier, you know, um, Tor- Toriano pride from Missouri. Like there's, there's a, there's a handful of kids that have come out from other parts of the country. And, and those visits were pretty early on in the month of June, early visits. And I think that's not by mistake in terms of just solidifying the interest there before they maybe go uh, to schools that are closer to home and, and maybe feel at least a sense of like, okay, I, I, I like what I see here. I'm more, more comfortable here. I think if you set the tone early as a school, that's kind of maybe the, the furthest away, the one that has the most to prove. I think that's important. Um, but I, I think it does vary from recruit to recruit clearly and, and situation to situation. I don't know, Matt, like, is there like a hard and fast rule? Like, do you prefer one or the other or or my perspective, it matters to the kid. I think if I was Oregon, if they want, I would prefer to have the official visit be first. Only if you could get like ticketing issued proof that this player has another visit on his own dime, locked in, paid for, purchased, and ready to go for that last moment where before he makes his decision. So if he's going to yeah. visit schools and you and, and he says, "Hey, you guys get my last visit, and it'll be an unofficial visit," and you have him book flights on that last 
um, week of recruiting before the, the mid-December signing period. And he sends you a screenshot of the ticketing purchase information so that you 100% know this is happening. This isn't right. a deal in which, hey, yeah, I'm coming. Don't worry about it. And, and it's three days beforehand, and he's still saying that, but he hasn't bought his ticket yet. That's not happening. That's the only way where I would be wanting to have the official visit first, because then you get best of both worlds. You get to set the bar extremely high. And then on top of that, you also go in and know that he's coming back and you're going to get your opportunity with him just before he makes his decision or before he has to sign. And so if that's the case, give me the first visit all the, all the time because you know you're going to get that second run at him unofficially. If he can't afford to make that trip and, and do that and the only time he can get out to Oregon is for an official visit, you want to be last. I, 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 I think that's the, the best strategy Everyone in the, in, on this planet has recency bias and you want to be the most recent visit because that's going to be the most fresh in your mind when you're making, when you're making a big decision and you want that to, to really stand out above the rest. Yeah, no, and, and I think there's also the, like, again, it's recruit by recruit situation. If you think a kid's going to commit right, right away and like it's right at the top of the list, like you see this happen quite frequently. Um, get it done quickly. Just, just finish it off. Don't let them go and, and check out other schools and maybe open their mind up. But um, you're right. I think it, it's, it's interesting to think about it because there's a different, couple of different ways to cut it. And I think from an individual perspective, it's, it's going to be different most times. But you're right. There's something to be said about if, if you're picking between option A and option B, the thing you've seen more recently, maybe the thing that stands out the most is, is, is that thing. So um, a good question here from Robbie in terms of just some of the recruiting stuff. This is Matt. I just snuck this one in. I found it on Twitter. It's a, another recruiting related question. So this is not in the show notes, Matt. So be prepared. This is from at Doke Roki. What are the details that make an Oregon football official visit so unique and persuasive for recruits? What are Cristobal and staff doing that separate them from other programs? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind here is just, the family atmosphere and you yeah. hear this a lot with players when they come in recruits is it just felt different. The energy was really, really high. The coaches made an effort to make, you know, all the coaches made an effort to, um, to come over and establish relationships to promote that enthusiasm, that energy, that positive vibe that when you arrive, the first thing you see is a bunch of smiling, enthusiastic, excited coaches who you might be playing for, for the future. And I think that part seems to come across. You hear that all the time from, you know, you read through, uh, you know, interview reports following it, uh, you know, the visits. And that seems to be one of the predominant things that's said every time is just the energy, the enthusiasm, all, all, all the coaches just being there and being involved. So it's a group effort, a family effort. And that especially we talked about kids coming from all over the country. Um, it's, in, you know, it's, it's really important that you have people on campus that can be, you know, parental figures or at least, you know, guidance, you know, ad, you know advocate for them and advise them and what's going on because for a lot of them, they could be a couple time zones away from family. So I think that's important. And I, th I think the other thing that seems to stand out a lot is just, you know, just the facilities and what Oregon can, can offer from a, you come here, you're going to have all the state of the art stuff. And I know some other schools may have caught up. Um, certainly Oregon was one, you know, at the forefront of really investing a lot in its, its facilities and its stadium and its 
you know, practice facilities in its locker rooms, all those things. And other schools have also since invested a lot, but what Oregon has is really special. And, and that certainly is something that I think comes across when you, you talk with these athletes following their, their time in Eugene. I think a, a big part of Oregon's strategy is when players show up for their visits, it's almost not all, it's, it's very little about like, you need to come here because we're going to develop you into this. This is what we're going to do from an X's and O's standpoint. We want to show you why you're, you know, you're not at the next level yet and how we can get you there. It's, it's, they talk football. They, they show how they do their practices. They, they show film of players at, that are currently at Oregon or that were at Oregon or at a different, at a different school in the same system that the coach is now running at Oregon. And sure. Hey, this is what you're going to do. This is how we do things here at Oregon. Uh, this is how we practice. This is how we train. Yada yada yada. They, they they do that, but a large chunk of the visit is like what you said: family atmosphere. You you talk to recruits and you ask them what is the thing that stood out the most to you, and it's always some sort of oh, the thing that really stood out to me was how how much and how cool it was to just kind of hang out and just get to know each other and not necessarily talk football and treat me more like a person than just a, you know, player a player B and you know, I'm only here because it helps them on the football field. Like they, right. they truly want to make me a better person on and off the football field. That that's the thing that stands out the most for recruits when they come to Oregon. And it's part of it's, you know, they, they do photo shoots for these recruits when they have big and when they have big visit weekends, when there's more than two or three guys on campus, they create almost like a lounge effect where they've got music bumping. They've got a DJ in there. They've got food. They've got drinks, you know, for non-alcoholic drinks, obviously. Um, they've, they've got chairs and, and couches and just places to hang out they've got games on tvs they've, they've, they've got the xbox going they've got the ps5 going you know and it's just hanging out and not necessarily football 100 focused the entire time and that's what always stands out to recruits it's it's the atmosphere the the culture of a family atmosphere instead of Oh well, we do this, we do that, and you know you're you're gonna come here and you're gonna play this position, and you know we're gonna turn you into this. Like that conversation happens, but it's a very small part of a much bigger weekend. No, I you know, and I think there's a lot more to it than what we're talking about. I'm sure because we full disclosure, neither of us have actually ever taken an official visit to Oregon before. We've talked to a lot of people who have. Um, and I'm sure every experience is different, but I, I think that's a pretty good recap of a lot of what goes on, a lot of what makes Oregon special. I think ultimately it comes down to the people. Um, and Oregon has done a tremendous job of establishing its staff and the people that promote the program. And I think Mario Cristobal is among the, you know, at the forefront, you talk nationally about head coaches that get it and understand the relationship building. I think he's at the forefront of that, near the top of that. And Boy, that's I mean, you see the change on in terms of the recruitment success. Yep. Oregon has had unparalleled success in it and seems to be headed in a direction that is, again, we talked about it on the show earlier this week, the blue chip ratio. That's a direct 
corresponding link, I guess, to these sort of relationships, these sort of things that happen on these visits. Next one from at East Coast Duck. What can UVO do to further engage students at Otson? Just yelling, take 75% of the seats isn't the answer in my opinion. Whenever they tear down the old suites, rebuild, add students only party debt, Add a students only party deck, two hours pre kickoff, a small beer garden, DJ, strength and Wi Fi, et cetera, hashtag outs and audibles. Um, so, this question, Matt, is kind of asking what can Oregon do to incentivize students for showing up at games? I, I love the idea of adding a students only party deck. I don't know exactly what that looks like or what the design would be. Um, maybe East Coast Duck can give us more details. And that is just like what the, I think the Jaguars have like a, a, a bunch of hot tubs and, and bars and stuff and like they're, party deck or whatever near their one of their end zones or maybe it's in both end zones um is that is that what we're advocating for on the college <laughs> campus like that seems that seems probably pushing it a little bit um, um I, I do think it will be interesting to see uh you know maybe maybe you can serve more alcohol but ultimately like i don't like matt do, do you think i mean this might just be where things are going i mean i think there's a correlation nationally for not just students but fans in general that hey there's the option to go out and go to the game there's also the option to kind of hang out at home and do your own thing or maybe watch the game for a little bit let's say you're a college football fan and we talked about fans a little bit in terms of some are diehard fans and they know the entire too deep and they know all the recruitment and they know the whole story and they're not going to miss a game but then there's this other percentage of fans and students certainly that they just kind of want to have a good time and be a part of something fun so i guess that's what east coast is getting at and some of this stuff but i also think it's ultimately at some point you're competing against a lot of different things that make it challenging for, for, for folks to go to these games. And there's a reason why I think you're seeing attendance numbers go down nationally. Um, but Matt, to his point, I mean, cause I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I'm skeptical of really what kind of promotions you can do to, to really fill the student section. I mean, I'm not trying to take a ton of shots at the students. I just don't know if there's a commitment to it. Like it seemed like there was, you know, a decade ago, you know, or, or five, 10 years ago. Um, it seems like it's lessons. I don't know. Like, do you think some of these ideas, obviously I don't think adding a party deck is probably something, but you know, more beer, better Wi-Fi, more DJ, a DJ, I think is something we see in, in at Matthew United arena. I don't know if I want to advocate for that for football. Cause that's not my favorite part of basketball, but like, do you think any of these are fixes or, or do you have any suggestions? Um, I do think I, I, I do like the, create some exclusive access create some kind of exclusive access where the student body gets a little bit extra for their ticket and that could be like a party deck maybe you eliminate some of the seating up at the top of the rim at Austin Stadium to build out a deck that would you know that could turn into that, like, hey, like this can hold, I don't know, 300 people, 400 people. I don't know how, how big that would be, but I'm just sure. spitting numbers. And this is where, like, if you want to get a beer and it's student only beer and it's student only prices, and, you know, where it's, you know, it's like a $2 for a beer or something like that, or, you know, a hot dog is $1.50 for students only like and entice it that way where you can show up you can get into the stadium a little bit earlier than everyone else you can you can have some drinks you can have some food you can hang out there's music playing and as the game goes on you can go up there for the third quarter if you want or 
you can you know you can go up there you know for halftime or whenever you want basically um, until last call is made for from an alcohol sales perspective. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of the the direction you have to go, and we're seeing this like the the experience of just going and sitting down for a game and you know, whether it's a football game and, and like you and I grew up, we, we would bring, you know, our parents would bring coolers and yeah, right. it would, it would be, okay, we're going to sit down. We're not going to leave our seats. We've got coolers. We've got blankets. Uh, this is what we're going to do for the next three and a half hours. We're just not going to move. You're going to pay attention to the game. You're not going to really know what's going on outside the game. That day and age is over with. And you need to you need to provide other things like the game is almost secondary, yeah. if you if yeah. you will, for I, I, yeah. today's like younger fan. Like they, they want to pay attention to the game, but they also want to have other things going on. And this isn't just at Oregon, this is across the board. Absolutely. And you know, I think at the pro level, a lot of pro teams and a lot of different sports they're starting to throw in the betting element into stadiums. And I think that's a game changer because it, it, it creates this draw of, I want to pay attention to see if my bets pay out. You know, I also bet on games outside of the game I'm watching at currently, but it draws people in because really in those areas and parts of these areas, the only places to place a bet is in the stadium. So as college athletics gets more and more closer to that fine line of, of betting, maybe that's something that plays out down the road. I think it's a good question. Honestly, there's a, it's something we don't spend a lot of time talking about during the season, but you know, for those who've gone to games, obviously 2019 being the last where you've had fans in the stadium, student section has oftentimes not been totally full. Other sections have oftentimes not been totally full and, there's, I think, a lot of good reasons. And I think Matt said it, I said it earlier. I, I just think you're competing with a lot more than just going to a football game. And like he's, Matt just said a second ago, even when you get to the game, it, people want to have more things going on than just what they're watching, which is kind of strange, but just the reality of where things are at right now, and especially younger generations, which, gosh, it, I feel old saying younger generations because it wasn't too long ago that I would have lumped myself in. Are, are just different and that what they want from a game experience is different. And I think, I think maybe that's really what you have to figure out more of is like, like Matt says, is gambling an answer? Is it somehow, you know, integrating more social media or things that can keep you integrated with the game other than just sitting and watching it, you know, maybe gambling, maybe some sort of, you know, you're not making any financial commitment, but you're, you're guessing who scores the next touchdown and you get some right. sort of, points or something i don't know it towards for free you know you maybe, maybe you get a free beer for guessing who's gonna have the lead at halftime or something like that but finding a way to like gamify the experience because you're right there's just a lot you're competing against and especially during the first couple of games of conference play when the weather's not terrible you know people have a lot of things they want to do other than just go to a football game and even when the weather gets worse, it doesn't help either because people don't want to sit out there when they could watch it on television. So there's a lot you're, I think, competing against right now for sure for fan interaction. All right, last couple here. One from at Dewey T. Duck. With the extra year of eligibility, it seems like D1 football programs are on pace to offer a record low 
number of scholarship offers to the class of 2022. Have you heard any scuttlebutt about the NCAA allowing three, four, or five players who are registered scholarship juniors during the 2020 season to not count against the scholarship limit, perhaps with the caveat they've remained in good academic standing throughout hashtag hots and audibles. Um, first off, I mean, I think, I don't know the exact data, but I, I would assume he's probably onto something in terms of the number of scholarships being offered for 2022 athletes um, just because of, the way rosters are constructed. I don't know. Do you think that's fair, Matt? Like, is it just a base? Do you think like, are there less scholarship? Like, is that something you would agree with? There's being maybe fewer in 2022 than in past years. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know the data, but like, does that seem right? I, I, I think Oregon is still offering a large amount of players. It's just, they're not going to take as many because they, they truly don't know yet what their class size could look like. Okay. I think that's fair too. So maybe if it's not the offering of scholarships, it's the accepting of scholarships is going to be less for 2022. Is that a fair, is that a more fair assessment? I mean, I'm sure their number of offers are down compared to previous years, but I don't think like if you, we went out and found out, okay, they, they took 26 guys in the 20, I'm just making these numbers up. They took 27 guys in the 2019 recruiting class. How many, offers did they extend for one of those 27 guys like if they basically the math would be if they extended 800 scholarship offers that's just an insane amount let's say 400 yeah something like that and they ended up taking 26 players in that recruiting class you know what would the math be and i'm bringing up my calculator here for a second because i obviously cannot Cannot do that type of of math, but if they did 400 scholarship offers total and they took 26 guys, that would be about 15 players offered per scholarship they give out. I I bet you that number is probably close to what they would typically do every year this season and for the 2022 class. Maybe a slight dip. Maybe it's like you know one or two scholarships lower. But it's the, the amount, total amount is lower because they don't have as many spaces to offer out. If that makes any kind of sense. No, I think so. No, I think that's right. And actually, that would be kind of an interesting analysis. I know we do track offers on uh, 247 does track offers. And I would be curious to see based upon that, what the kind of what, what is the ratio? Is it so Oregon 15? right now in the 2022 class has 261 scholarship offers extended in the 2021 football class, they have 241 scholarships. It's actually gone up. It's actually They're gone actually up. actually up um, by a little bit. In 2020, they had 315 scholarship offers. and three In 2019, they had 345 scholarship offers. And then in 2018, they had 272. Now, to give you kind of some perspective – uh, Mark Helfrich in 2015 offered 138 guys. And in Chip Kelly's 2011 season, he offered 86 guys. Yeah. Well, I think things have changed a lot. 100%. And, and, and probably just to be fair, the tracking has probably improved now of offers. So yes. like 86 offers in 2011 could be closer to like 120 or something like that just because – Heck, you know how easy it is to check offers now? Everybody just tweets their offers out. That was not the case 10 years ago. You would have to really go digging to see who was offered. Um, 
So, so based upon the data Matt just ran through, it, it doesn't seem necessarily accurate to say they're offering less players. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, I get, they are taking less this year. Um, but that's because of the class size already. And I guess to this, this point then, do you think it makes sense to have players not count towards the 85 or not? I mean, I don't necessarily, I mean, there, there, there could be an argument just because the rosters are so convoluted now and, and kind of gunked up because of, because of COVID and the extra year to, to do something like this. But like, I don't necessarily think it's, I'm just curious. I, I guess I don't know if this is going to actually end up curing the problem by doing that. In fact, I, kind of feels like it's just creating more confusion by extending a bunch of players. And now you have to remember, oh, these guys don't count towards the 85, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Like, Matt, is that something you're interested in terms of just having – You can maybe you, you could take 90 players, but five of them are, are guys that don't count towards the 85? It seems like now we're getting into some really weird math. Yeah, I'd love to see the NCAA come out and be like, hey, uh, we understand you guys are in a tough spot, so – we are going to give everybody like six additional scholarships for the 2022 class. As long as that doesn't take, you know, if you have 25 available, you don't get extra scholarships, but because of like, if you don't have guys taking extra years, you don't get the extra scholarship. But if you do have guys taking the extra year and you're going to have to sit now below the 25 limit. We'll get you to whatever you need to get to 25. And then the next year after that, maybe it's, Hey, we're, if we're not going to get you to 25, but we're going to get you two extra scholarships. If you're still having guys with extra years of eligibility. And then that third year, you better be want, you know, you now it's now up to you to manage your roster, like some kind of trickle down effect where the number gets smaller every single year, but still gives you the opportunity. Yeah, there's going to definitely have to be some number of math figured out here. And I will be curious to see what ends up happening. I think a lot of coaches have talked about how challenging this is going to be. And maybe it is just pushing the number up from 85 to 90 for a short time. Just just extending kind of a grace period here. I, mean, I don't hate the idea of having players not count against the, 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 the cap, if you will, um, or the limit. But I don't know. I mean, to me, it just seems like it just you're adding complications. When why not just push it to ninety and, and provide a little more discretion for the? I'd rather. I'd actually like rather color. see it drop from eighty-five to like eighty. Okay, T- say more. Like, because I, I think this would help with beating up, breaking up the monopoly in college athletics that is composed of. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, getting the top recruits every single season and having the best recruiting classes every year. And the blue chip ratio kind of evening itself out a little bit. Like, just look at Alabama, okay? Like, let's say they had five less scholarships to have, okay? You're throwing out – now, granted, they have four three-star players <laughs> on on their commit list, but they're all guys that signed with Alabama, and they'd be losing a a, a, a four-star cornerback, Devontae Smith out of Ohio, if we just plucked the four lowest-rated guys. Or maybe because, you know, they, you know, from a needs perspective, they don't take 
uh, Jaden Roberts, uh, interior offensive lineman that's a four-star top 250 player, or uh, James Brockmeyer, another guy from Texas that's a top 200 player at that position. Like maybe that's how it plays out. Or you go look at Ohio State and, you know, they've got three three-star recruits that, that would be off the team. And then maybe, you know, a couple extra four-star guys that are gone now and that are on the team for the 2021 football season. So I, I think it would redistribute the talent a little bit more and kind of like what we saw when they created the scholarship limit, how USC would just stock load talent after talent after talent and, and put them on the team. And then the 85 scholarship limit happened and we saw kind of a spreading out of the talent across the country or in the conference from a Pac-12 perspective. I think we would see that happen again. Like it would probably help Oregon more than it would hurt Oregon, but it would significantly help the programs like Washington state, Oregon state, Cal, Arizona, Arizona state, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, some of these other schools where all of a sudden, you know, there's out of the top 10, there's 50 more guys that are, that are signing with top 10 programs that no longer are on those teams and are redistributed to the other programs. Good idea. I, I, I don't hate it. I, I also just think that the big schools would find a way to monopolize it and figure out a way to win it anyway. And in probably five years, we'd have to change it again. But, but maybe that's the way to just create obstacles until they find the loopholes. I mean, every time the NCAA seems to set a, a rule to try to implement fairness, and, and mind you, it's been a while since I've really gone all in on this, it seems like the big programs find a way to get creative and <laughs> work around it. And, and we end up in a similar position. But I don't, I don't hate the idea, Matt, of, of I guess, of doing that. Obviously, in the current situation, I think that's a challenge and it and, and I and I guess I also just feel for the players who maybe are losing an opportunity to go to you you know if you whether it be Alabama or Georgia or whatnot if you're a you're that fringe player that kind of stinks but again that's part of the short-term stuff that's hopefully figuring out a system that I think is I think most people would admit is a little bit flawed in terms of at least the the, the way the landscape of college football is set up right now there's just not there's about five or six teams every year that can win it and it's hard to maneuver your way if you're not one of those teams all right last one from at duck for quacks would you rather be selected to be the guest picture on sorry guest picker on college game day and get a not so fast from lee corso or be interviewed for a 30 for 30 documentary made about the university of nike the rise of oregon athletics hashtag dots and audibles um i mean like i i i guess i'd probably rather be on the 30 for 30 assuming i have information that's valuable and it makes me look like I'm <laughs> I belong on the show I don't want to just be on there spouting off stuff that makes me seem like a kind of adult um, but I've always I've always loved those documentary series and I, I do think there's a really good one to be made regarding Oregon and it's it's climb probably starting since the pick and then jumping forward from from that moment where you know reportedly that was Phil Knight's you know kind of light bulb moment of wanting to commit a bunch of financial capital and then you look up and see what's happened since then, the rises of new, you know, from Chip Kelly to innovating to the uniforms to to where you are now. To, you know, obviously, you'd spend some time on the ties between Oregon and, and Nike, probably quite a bit there, and, and on Prefontaine and that sort of thing. I just look at all that and think, like, yeah, that would probably be a really great documentary. I just wonder how much I could actually add to it, other than things that have happened um, under Mario Cristobal. 
the last couple of years here. I don't know, Matt, like, do you, would you prefer that or are you just wanting to be on college game day, making a fool of yourself? <laughs> uh, I think I would rather also do 30 for 30 um, because like the game day is like a one time experience. And like, unless you DVR it and then capture the video, it's hard to, hard to, prove you were actually there with without having just you know besides just photos or maybe a cell phone photo you know video which is grainy whereas a 30 for 30 like 20 years later you could just turn it on and you get great quality and you can relive that experience i would rather i would rather do 30 for 30 um as i've gotten older i i'm not as much of a big game day guy as i as i used to be let's talk about that because i'm totally in the same place like, I don't know why. Um, I still like to watch the final five minutes to hear their picks, but I, I'm not as excited as I used to be about college game day coming, you know, coming to Eugene or getting up every day. Now, partly because it starts at 6 a.m. <laughs> and, you know, and, and watching those, watching the college football show three hours in a row, like, I, I think that's almost too much for me. And maybe that's just because, you know, I've gotten older now and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I've got kids. I've got other things going on in my life where I just can't justify sitting in front of a TV at six o'clock in the morning and not moving for three hours and then watching college football games. Like, I don't know. Like I, I, and the show also kind of feels like, Lee Corso is, I, I think, how do I say this? Like delicately, like he's very I, old. Yes. And I, it just, it's, it's not good TV anymore with him. Yeah. And so that part of it also probably changes things. And I, I think, you know, Desmond Howard kind of mails it in every once in a while and doesn't look nearly as informative. Um, Kirk Herbstreet's obviously the, the number one, voice in college in college football i think um and he's he knows everything about the sport in the game at that year but i i just think the show is just kind of it's kind of hit that spot where it's the same thing over and over again and it's kind of on a little stale and until it gets a major rehaul it's gonna just be the back of my mind i'll still check in on it but i'm not gonna obsess over it like i used to i haven't watched the show full disclosure in its entirety, probably in like 10 years and haven't watched probably more than an hour of it in five years. And, and honestly, the only time I really turn it on is, you know, if, if, if we're on a road trip and we're up early getting ready for maybe a noon game or something like that. And, and Hey, let's see what they're thinking. And, and, and probably honestly, I watch it more frequently when Oregon is, is good. And I know they're going to sure. be discussing the outcome, but like, ultimately, like I, I, I'm not like devoting my time and, trying to make sure I see what happens there. And so we've gone on a bit of a tangent from the original question, but like, I think we're both just saying like, I, I do think that the, I'd be curious to see what listeners think. And maybe we'll ask this on the site. I, I do think the college game day glow is kind of dimming a little bit. And, and, and that's in part because of a lot of what Matt has said. And I think it's also in part because there's just a lot of other ways to kind of know about the matchups. And there was a time where there wasn't, quite as many options to really research it obviously you'd have like you know for diehard you know Oregon fans you'd go to the duck territory you'd go to the the Oregon sites and you'd read all the stuff leading up to the game you'd know that but like 
from a national perspective, there wasn't a lot of competition to see what's going on in the Georgia, you know, what, what the expectation between a Georgia Tennessee game might be. That has changed. There's just a lot of different ways to be educated. And so you used to watch it kind of being like, okay, now I know everything going into this game. You can find that information a lot more. It's more readily available now. And, and like you said earlier about Desmond Howard, I think that kind of honestly is true of most of the, the analysts on that show. I think David Pollock, I've seen also kind of be like, I don't even think he knows much about the Pac-12. And it's like, why am I devoting all this time to experts who don't necessarily know everything about everybody when you can go online and, and find something that's a little bit more well thought out and, and I guess, you know, better educated on the matter. So look, I, I, I think yeah. um, your people's opinions about Doug Gottlieb and can stay away from this, but he said something that from a, from a non-sports perspective, but from what he, he mentioned one time on the radio about being a national voice for college athletics or um, a media member that covers the, that particular sport at a national level, it's you don't have to know every tiny detail. You have to be able to know the basics and can talk the basics. And that's what you get with some of these guys on game day, David Pollock and um, oh, forgetting his name right now. Um basically every analyst they have besides Kirk Herbstreet where Desmond Howard, that's what I was thinking of. They know just enough to be able to talk about the team that they're talking about at that segment. But any diehard fan is going to know more about Oregon than David Pollock will or Desmond Howard will, or know the current setup and unless they're talking logistically X and O's standpoint, the average fan will know more than those guys because they have to know the basics of so many other teams. They don't have the time to devote themselves to just be all in on everything for each team because they just can't physically do it. And so I look at this and think like as today's day and age is, and media has grown and access to teams has grown. Information about teams has significantly grown. Knowing just the basics for the average diehard fan, which that show is geared towards, like the fan has kind of outgrown the show because of so much information is out there. Like exactly. Yeah. You almost need the show to take the approach of, okay, like we're going to have, David Pollock, and he is only going to talk about SEC topics. He's not going to be a person that goes on and says what he thinks about Alabama or what he thinks about Oregon versus USC because he doesn't have the time to truly be, be looked at as a guy that knows everything about those two teams. And then you're going to have Desmond Howard. He's going to come on and he's going to do everything Big Ten related. And then you're going to have someone – that's in the network that does big 12 ACC PAC 12, where those guys or, or those ladies have the opportunity to just look, I have tunnel vision. All I have to worry about is analyzing and studying and preparing for the PAC 12. I don't need to worry about what's going on in the LSU versus Alabama game, because that's not my area. Have Kirk Herbstreit, have Chris Fowler, have whoever it is. Reese Davis is the guy that's now hosting the show. 
the, the you know the analyst on on that game be the guy that's breaking down Oregon or breaking down Alabama LSU, but then don't have all these other guys you know who who aren't connected to the SEC who aren't connected to the Pac-12 try and talk these areas because the average fan is smarter now. They there's right. so much information that it's kind of outgrown the show. Exactly. And that's my point. I think that's in part why it's, it's hard to want to watch three hours of it when you know they're going to talk about the Pac-12 and you're going to feel like 60% of it's just not that well informed. When you can go online and find a lot of outlets that have, I think, a lot better information, it just feels kind of counterproductive. I, and I, I don't want to take away from everything they do, but that's been a kind of an issue I've had. And I'm sure those listening can, can kind of relate to just being like, hey, cool, here comes the Oregon-UCLA segment, and they don't really know anything about Oregon or UCLA, and you're kind of like, wow, okay, that felt like a waste. Why did I sit here for 30 minutes waiting for that? Exactly, exactly. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. Continue to go to DuckTerritory.com for more. We'll have more this week. We'll have more next week. Uh, Say goodbye to Eric for a couple weeks. He will be on vacation uh, so you're going to get some solo podcasts and some guest podcasts from me for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll get back to our regular scheduled programming. And until you listen to the show again, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.